This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On today's episode, we welcome our guest, Nicole Eredix. Nicole is an educator and an author who advocates for inclusion of students with disabilities in the general education classroom. During our conversation today, we discuss why it is important that the school culture reflect an inclusive culture. I would like to welcome everyone back to a brand new episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I am your host, Arthur Aston, and I am happy to welcome my guest to today's episode, Nicole Eredix. So Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very happy to have you as a guest and to meet you virtually. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here and uh, excited to talk about inclusion. Yes, yes. So uh, I start off the podcast with every guest asking um, a version of this first question. So can you share with us who is Nicole Eredix? And can you share just um, some parts of your journey of becoming an educator and how you became interested in the world of inclusive education? Of course, yes. One of my favorite topics to talk about. <laughs> Not me, I mean inclusion. <laughs> so, um, yeah, born and raised in Canada. I'm a Canadian transplant. I live here in the U.S. now. Um, and part of uh, living in Canada for much of my earlier years, uh, I went to university there and I was trained as a inclusion teacher. And at the time, uh, we didn't really call it inclusion teacher. You were just a general education teacher. But our province, um, which is the province of British Columbia, had mandated that all of our schools become fully inclusive. So they took away the segregated classrooms and, um, you know, created classrooms with children of all abilities. And so my teacher training reflected that shift to fully inclusive classrooms. So that's all I've ever known as an educator. And I did that. I was uh, in the elementary system as a an inclusion teacher, which was basically a gen ed teacher with students of all abilities. Um, did that for, oh gosh, about 15 years and um, found myself in Southern California one day. <laughs> And noticed that things were a little different. And so, you know, I decided to put my um, time and energy into just raising awareness for um, ways in which education can be done differently and, you know, serve the needs of our students, especially those with disabilities. So, um, and aside from that, I've, or in addition to that, I've got a master's in special education and wrote a book a couple of years ago. So, been busy, <laughs> yes. but it's, uh, I, you know, and I do teacher trainings and workshops and all kinds of stuff. So that's, that's kind of a snapshot of, of who I am and what I do. That's great. I always love hearing people's stories and to see um, how they arrive to where they are. And uh, it's great that you said it's, you know, inclusion is all that you really have known and uh, yeah. that it was uh, adapted, adopted in uh you know, in Canada at, at such a, uh, an early time. So that's, that's mm -hmm. really always, always great to hear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, I, I did some research about you and looked up some things and um, some podcasts and, and things that you have been on and, and discussions that you have had. And I came across one of your posts that you wrote on your blog that was mm. called How to Include Students with Disabilities by Modifying Curriculum in Three Easy Steps. I was drawn to the third step, which was use instructional strategies such as deletion, substitutions, and additions to make necessary changes to the lesson. Can you share with us a little bit more about that and give some examples of how this can be done in the real world? Definitely, yeah. Well, first of all, the purpose of doing that really is to, of course, provide our students uh, with the same content from the general education curriculum, which is um, something that we, you know, do in our schools. We're providing quality general education curriculum to all of our students. And so some of our students, of course, are not yet working at the grade level um, that, the, that their peers are working. So we want to provide them with an opportunity to experience and to um, access and achieve that material, but at their uh, level, their you know present or their level of performance or ability. And so what we can do is we can look at the content and the curriculum for that particular grade level or age level, and then manipulate it to um, make it so that it's more appropriate for a student who is working at a different level of ability. And so you can do that by, um, you know, changing the educational outcomes of the activities. So for example, if it's a complex topic like plant biology, you can break that down and make it more appropriate by, you know, having the student grow plants or observe plant growth or take care of plants. So you're still working within that theme of plants, you're still addressing that content, but you're making it suitable for the student uh, who is, as I mentioned, working at a different level. Um, you can, so you can simplify the content, you can um, change those educational outcomes. So if um, there's a math question and the idea is to solve, you know, this complex algorithm, then you can take that and change um, the the type of algorithm that it is, perhaps maybe using the same numbers or maybe using, you know, an operation there or breaking it down into steps um, and outlining the steps for the student to solve the algorithm. So it's essentially just taking, you know, what is happening in the classroom and making some adjustments to it, deleting the material that isn't necessary, you know, prioritizing content that um, that that we want our students to know and to be able to to have and achieve. So that's essentially the approach, <laughs> a very a very um, you know broad approach to to modifying curriculum. And um, it's just going in with that premise of okay, what am I going to do to make this accessible and achievable for my student? I I really love that because I. Um... I know for myself growing up, like subject, a subject like math was not my thing. Um, right. Join the club. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so to, to have like that type of um, 
you know, to, to adapt the lesson in such a way that I would be able to learn was always helpful. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, or even just something just as simple as having another classmate explain something to me versus having mm-hmm. the teacher explain it. It, yeah. you know, all of a sudden it was like, oh, oh, that's what it means. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. really uh, much easier to to see it in, in a different way. And I, I love the example you used of um, the plant. You know, if you're having a, sub- a subject dedicated to plants, actually having a person, you know, go through that process of planting a seed and watching it grow and, and learning that way um, can be very, I can see how that would be very beneficial for, um, you know, for somebody who learns in, in that specific style. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, is um, learning uh, different or has different educational outcomes that are more meaningful to them, more appropriate to them. Um, Because, you know, it's about taking, like you said, material and making it not just um, being able to access it and make, help the student learn, but also to help the student understand, right? Mm-hmm. And be able to um, think deeply about it and apply it. So there's more to learning than just being able to um, read the material. You need to understand it as well. Yes, that's so, and like you said, apply it. That is uh, mm-hmm. that is so, so important. I'm so glad you, you brought that up. I love that, uh, that you use that word. <laughs> so, um, this this season it's our second season of the podcast and uh this season we are focusing uh on school leadership and how uh those in school leadership positions can have an impact on inclusive schools uh the environment in inclusive schools as you mentioned you did write a book that is titled inclusion in action practical strategies to modify your curriculum and as part of that book you discuss the role that school leadership and staff have in making schools inclusive. So that is why you are on this episode with us today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so can you share a little bit more of that uh, with us and, and how you feel that uh, school leadership and staff, uh, you know, have an impact on the uh, inclusive school environment? Of course. And first of all, congratulations on this being the this- second year of the podcast. I'm a big fan of podcasts. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. So that's wonderful. Um, such a great way to share information. Um, so school leadership is so essential because really, I'm, you know, they set the tone. They're the ones that are um, the model or the um, face of the school community. And so in in my experience um, with school leadership in inclusive schools, there's a lot of conversation and a lot of behavior that reflects inclusion. And I mean, I can remember, you know, so many times our principal uh, during staff meetings, announcements, just reiterating the fact that these are all of our students. We're here to educate all of them, to provide them with, you know, meaningful curriculum. How are we going to do that? We're going to ensure that they're involved in all school activities. Um, You know, if a student can't, for example, you know, attend a field trip due to mobility issues, how can we um, facilitate that, right? Like, how can we make that happen? Or what can we do to include the students so that every student can participate in that activity? Um, Events, you know, all of our dances, graduations, ceremonies, you know, 
parent-teacher things going on in the school, um, student leadership opportunities. It included all of our students, uh, not just a certain population. A lot of those activities like extracurricular clubs, um, sports happen at lunchtime, not after school, because you you know we have a lot of students who use buses and that would eliminate their opportunity to participate if it was held after school. So we had those activities at lunchtime. So um, scheduling, you know, that was a big thing. Uh, what do our schedules look like in our school? And then of course the resources to support that. How did we allocate um, staff and personnel? Because inclusion isn't something that happens in isolation. It just doesn't happen in one classroom. And uh, it's not the sole responsibility of the general education teacher. It takes a partnership with specialists, um, whether they're education specialists or you know physical therapy or speech language professionals. A teacher needs to have that collaboration in order to help uh, students succeed. So, you know, the leadership is so essential because really, you know, as I mentioned, they're providing that message. Um, they're providing opportunities for us to follow through on what we say we are and what our purpose mm -hmm. is as leaders and as education staff. Mm -hmm. And then the resources. So um, it, it's definitely, it's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time, like we're an inclusive school and that's it. No, <laughs> it's a day in, day out, consistent way of being and behaving. And yes. um, yeah, it's, and it's so essential. And, um, you know, the, the impact that it has on the school community is phenomenal. Yes. And <clears throat> I, I like that you said consistent. That's the uh, the key. It's not a one-time thing. It's it's something that is consistent and it goes on and it continues. And um, starting at the top with the leadership is yeah. so important. And I I love that you mentioned the um, you know like the dances and and after school activities and things like that because it's you know that's still part of the school environment and the school culture. Yeah. And, you know, but it's not, you know, it might be outside of the regular school day hours of, you know, mm -hmm. the 7 a.m. to 3 or, or whatever the hours are uh, right. at a particular school. And it's, you know, but it's still part of that school environment, the school culture. So those are, are areas that, you know, need attention as well to, to be mindful of uh, the inclusion aspects of those um, of those activities. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, no, and one other quick thing I want to mention too, and I'll speak to more about in a minute, but um, also providing your staff with training, you know, making sure that they have the skills necessary and the knowledge necessary in order to facilitate and be inclusive, um, because that's training is a big issue and a big barrier to inclusive schools, the lack of training. Yes. And um, yeah, that's definitely a, you know, a priority in an inclusive school is yes. to have good teacher training. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, you, you do some trainings and uh, seminars and workshops and things. Um, so in your work, what is the most common challenge that you find teachers have with include, with including students with disabilities? Lack of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think a lot of times uh, there's just 
some misunderstandings and there are some uh, concerns and fear, but a lot of that boils down to just not knowing how that or what inclusion looks like in real life. You know, what, what does that mean? What is the impact um, on, you know, my schedule or my daily routine or um, when in fact inclusion for the most part is good teaching. It's just good teaching. And um, so teachers out there are already doing a fantastic job and they're already providing um, many opportunities for all students to participate. But, it, you know, there is that extra step that's required. There is, um, you know, just becoming more knowledgeable about learning differences and um, learning needs. Um, so I really think that that's definitely one of the biggest issues that, um, or the biggest barriers that I see is just having that, um, you know, that, that not, I don't want to say mindset, but just having that perception or misconception that inclusion is hard. And, you know, we need to break that down and um, provide our teachers with the resources and the knowledge and the skills in order to, you know, not have it be perceived as being hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, um, you know, what you were saying about it being consistent. And that mm -hmm. is, um, you know, that can be very helpful with by doing it more and engaging um you know, in the conversations and uh, to learn about what inclusion actually is um, mm -hmm. can be very helpful to, um, you know, take away that stigma and the misconception of it, um, of it being difficult and, and being hard to uh, have inclusion in our schools. Yeah, it's actually a very collaborative experience, mm -hmm. um, very rewarding as a professional, you know, um, to be able to have the supports in the school uh, for your students, it's, you know, I could go on, but <laughs> in the interest of time, <laughs> I'll wrap that answer up. <laughs> Intel, so, that's a big hot topic for me. <laughs> it, it is, and it, it really does, um, it needs to be discussed and, and addressed. So I'm glad that you, uh, you know, that you brought it up and, and that you are bringing that uh, to this conversation. Um, so, uh, and also, um, you know, another work related question for you. Yeah. Um, so in your work that you do, uh, have you found an example of, uh, student inclusion that was done well, where, uh, the student had more si significant support needs? Uh, well, in honesty, uh, I've had a lot of those situations and seen a lot of yes. that because that <laughs> happened routinely in my previous job as a as a teacher. Um, but, you know, one situation that stands out for me is it was probably one of my in the early years of teaching and I um, one of the students in my class had mobility challenges and um, was working uh, below grade level, uh, you know, and was not, um, had some expressive and receptive communication challenges. And so, you know, we really worked hard to ensure that, um, that she was able to participate in 
various activities, you know, and um, we made sure that, and she did have a paraeducator, of course, with her to help facilitate inclusion, uh, but we made sure that the students were aware of her, not, you know, not everything about her, but just aware of her certain ways of expressing herself. One of them was that when she wanted our attention, she um, liked to hit uh, hit the side of her wheelchair. And so, you know, once we explained that to the students, uh, as you know, rather than seeing it as a disruption, they saw it as a form of communication. And so they would alert me, you know, Mrs. Eridix, um, you know, so-and-so wants your attention, right? So it didn't become like a negative, um, uh, you know, event in the classroom. Uh, we also ensured that she could access all of our class activities and field trips. I spoke about that earlier. You know, she, um, one field trip we were, uh, we were going to walk to a certain location and, and it wasn't uh, wheelchair friendly, the pathway, um, but we ensured that she got there and, and we um, had some peers accompany her. So um, she chose, you know, her friends, she was, they went um, by vehicle and met us there. So it was just, you know, we really worked hard to ensure that um, it, you know, she didn't stand out in a way that was, you know, here we have to help her because we, you know, we have to feel, you know, we, it was, it was a very natural experience. We tried to make it as natural as possible, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and her work was modified, of course, and um, her paraeducator was just fantastic. Um, she was very well trained and, uh, you know, she and I constantly collaborated uh, in order to provide the student with opportunities and meaningful work and mm -hmm. <laughs> experiences in our classroom. Yeah. And yeah, she was, she was one of many different students that I worked with over the years, but um, she stands out just, just because, you know, every child has their own uniqueness and um, ways of communicating, ways of moving, ways of um, working and you know we once we understand and we're familiar and we're aware of you know what our differences are and our uniquenesses are then you know it's no big deal it's like well that's it is what it is and that's how we're going to work with it so yeah yes. that's definitely an example that stands out for me yes I I truly enjoy having these conversations because it always brings up memories of my own uh, story and my own life of living as someone with a disability. And uh, a few months ago, I was in a store and I came around the corner, I was in my wheelchair and I came around the corner going down an aisle <clears throat> and a little girl, she was maybe four years old. She jumped back and said, oh, that's so scary. And her mom immediately got down on the floor on her knees and her daughter in front of her daughter. And she said, no, it is not scary. She said, that is how he moves. That's how he gets around. That right. you, your legs are strong. His legs are not strong like yours. So he has to use that to, that's the way he walks. Right. He has to use that chair. It just happens yeah. to have wheels. Exactly. As soon as she said that, the little girl said, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
right? Okay. And yeah. that when you were talking about how you explained to the students of, you know, the, the, the student hitting the side of her chair as a way of communicating, you know, then all of a sudden the students start saying like, oh, they're hitting their chair. You know, they, they want your attention. They need something. Exactly. It's so, yeah. it's so amazing how kids, how kids just get it right they're away. Fine with it. I mean, because we all have our uniqueness and I mean, I had students, I can't tell you, I probably had more students in my classrooms over the years who would, you know, who were quote unquote neurotypical in general education, but they were, you know, leaning back on their chairs, tapping on their desks, mm -hmm. <laughs> kicking their, um, you know, constantly shuffling their feet. I mean, people were human, right? And yep. we all express and move and communicate in various ways. And it's just becoming um, exposed to that and mm -hmm. um, being comfortable with the various differences that we have. And how do we do that? Well, you know, we we interact and we engage with, with people mm -hmm. and, um, you know, try to understand what it is, what the, you know, the root of it is. And even if we're younger, we're not going to understand that, but at least have people around us to, you know, people around them to support um, that understanding of, of the differences that we all have. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's really important that we do, um, you know, talk about these things with the, uh, the students in the classroom and, and in the school and, and just um, help break down all those stereotypes and stigmas and misconceptions about, uh, inclusion and disabilities in general exactly yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of giving children those actionable steps because they just don't know right they haven't been mm -hmm. exposed or they haven't interacted with anybody um in you know who has uh different needs and so it's just giving them that that language and those actions and behaviors mm -hmm. and modeling that for them so um, I have one final question uh, for you. And um, that is, um, we sometimes see that parents of children with disabilities, uh, especially those with autism, appear to be more reluctant or adverse to uh, inclusive education settings. Mm. How is it that we can reach those parents um, who feel that a segregated placement has more benefits than an inclusive one? That is a, such a great question, and it's a big one to tackle, just simply because, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of that is fear, uh, not knowing how their child will be supported in a general education setting, especially if, um, you know, depending on the child's needs, sensory needs, mobility needs, emotional needs. So uh, having conversation, modeling what that would look like, um, ensuring that teachers have training, um, the appropriate training, again, goes mm -hmm. back to creating an environment that is safe and um, is educational, obviously. And I mean, outside of that, it's just really having discussion and showing examples and providing resources, um, providing staffing. And those are some big, you know, those are some big asks for both teachers and parents. Mm -hmm. um, that re it requires an investment of time and energy. It's not a quick fix. Um, but as parents, you know, I think we just really want to make sure that our kids are safe and are learning. And if 
if schools can uh, provide that um, environment for our kids, especially students with autism, then I think you might see more parents leaning towards inclusive models. The other piece of that too is having somebody, having a parent or a family who has experienced successful inclusion and have them speak to the experience, right? So they're being, you know, they're the ones that are validating and in kind of a testament to, yeah, it when it's done properly, it mm -hmm. can be done really well. So having um, a parent and a child speak to that experience, that successful experience that they've had, um, you know, having the opportunity to see classrooms, see inclusive classrooms in action would be another one, you know, encouraging conversations between the teacher and the parents, setting up um, means of communication, ensuring that that's going to be in place. So lots of planning and lots of preparation, lots of reassurance, I think is really kind of the first, the first step. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not, a, it's, you know, it's not an overly tangible one at that point, but it, it really, um, once I think educators and schools understand the initial fears and concerns, they can start to have those conversations on how to address them and what the school can do to provide those supports um, and ensure that, you know, the students are, um, are going to have a successful, safe experience in the general education classroom. And I think it's a huge, you know, when they look at that flip side, um, and I'm not speaking to every segregated special education classroom, but I think it's really important to mention that in our segregated special education classrooms, you've got a, a lot of students in there for the most part um, with a wide range of needs and several adults to support them. Those classrooms can be very um, overwhelming themselves, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, in that aspect. And so um, the general education classroom, it, Yes, it there are a lot of kids in there as well, but it's it's just it's a different type of environment. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just it offers um, a different level of activity and a different um, yeah, different environment that may not necessarily be bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of. That's kind of my broad answer. It's a very difficult question because yes. <laughs> everyone brings their own experiences to the table and, and what mm -hmm. they've heard and what they've seen. And and it's it's hard to, it's a process to change attitudes and mindsets and mm. to, and, and definitely with parents to kind of ease their minds. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's my very long answer to your short question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, that answer. Um, and I appreciate it, this conversation with you. And uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join me uh, to have this conversation today. It um, was really, really great to uh, speak with you and to learn about you and hear your background and, um, and all the great work that you're doing and uh, the changes that are, uh, you know, that you've seen and, and that are being made. 
uh, through the work that we are all doing uh, to bring inclusive education to uh, the world at large. <laughs> yes, and having these conversations are so important. And I yes. appreciate the opportunity to be here and speak with you. And um, a pleasure to meet you and an okay. honor to be on the podcast. So thank oh, you. Yes, and thank you as well, Nicole. And you have a great day and uh, we will be in touch. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education and JCIE. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.